This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. It's sort of a, an opportunity for people to make connections and stay connected. And that was actually one of the big goals of putting together the, um, the Literary District anyway, was just to sort of, with this belief that together we are stronger than the sum of our parts. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guests today are Eve Bridberg, founder and executive director of Grub Street, which is one of our wonderful literary organizations, and Alicia Abbott, who is the director of the Boston Literary District. Welcome to our program. Thank, Thank you. you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Eve was the genius and founding mother of the Boston Literary District. Um, as most of our listeners know, we have 43 cultural districts in every corner of the Commonwealth, but the literary district um, is different. It's not a compact, contiguous space in a community. It's more like a literary trail. Tell us about it, Eve. Well, um, we wanted to highlight the incredible history of Boston's literary past while also starting to draw more attention and resources and support and civic pride, frankly, in this incredible, vibrant uh, present that we're in. Boston, I know Alicia can probably give us a deeper sense of the history because she's been steeped in the maps more than I have, but there's a great quote that, that from the 19th century where you couldn't throw a stone in Boston without hitting a writer on the head. And I feel like that's still true in 19, you know, 2017. So, um, the, the district's really about pulling the city together. We love the map and the asset mapping of it, but we also view the borders as very porous. We're trying to just really elevate the whole sector as much as possible. We hired Carrie Greenwich, who's a local historian, to look at the assets from the perspective of African-American history in Boston, which is really underappreciated and not well known. And she did a wonderful job creating this really compelling walking tour. So that's one of the things that we've done recently that we're really excited about. Um, and Alicia, you probably should talk more about this than I should, given your role as the, as the director of the district. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, just as Eve was saying, we, uh, we were trying at once to engage people with the rich literary past that they can take part in, in walking tours on foot or virtual walking tours through our website, but also um, looking at, through our partnerships, this really exciting programming that's engaging the, the writers of today with that past. And so, you know, we're made up of a consortium of different uh, universities and literary-minded nonprofits and organizations, and working together, we're trying to raise the profile of, of Boston as a literary destination and increase locals' participation in the literary arts. So do some name-dropping, because my guess is an awful lot of people could name the members of the Red Sox baseball team, but um, might quickly run out of the names of the literary greats that came from Boston. So show off a little bit. Who have we got? <laughs> well, I mean, we have the um, original residence of uh, Louisa May Alcott in the Literary District. Um, her book, Little Women, is uh, almost 250 years old. We have uh, the Omni Hotel, Omni Parker Hotel, which was the the location of the Saturday Club, which was a weekly meeting with uh, local greats, including uh, Emerson, Thoreau, and Longfellow. Uh, and didn't Dickinson live at that hotel for two yeah, years? Yeah, so Charles Dickens lived at the hotel and actually practiced 
his reading of A Christmas Carol before he gave it for the very first time in the United States in that hotel. Also in that hotel, Ho Chi Minh and Malcolm X were both busboys. So these are just sort of these little known facts. Uh, we have one of the residents of Sylvia Plath who had been in the literary district. We have the birthplace of Edgar Allan Poe and you can find the statue of Edgar Allan Poe uh, marking uh, that birthplace. and. You know, and we also have um, the former residents of Khalil Gibran, so, and, and also the Old South Meeting House, which was uh, a place where Phyllis Wheatley uh, came with her masters to study and, and where she eventually, uh, you know, became the first African-American poet in the United States. What I love about what you're doing, though, is you're not just looking back. There's our history. Um, there's a writer or two around here now, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> Quite a few. Talk about that. Well, I mean, where do we start, right? In Boston. Um, I'm just thinking about our, you know, Grub Street's board. Uh, super excited about the literary district. Anita Shreve lives in Boston, as does Alice Hoffman, uh, Tom Parada. The list goes on and on. Andre Debus, yeah, so, Margot Livesey. And, and we have uh, the Boston Book Festival is a member of the of the Literary District. They sit on our executive committee and, and they, of course, do the, the book festival every year, which um, highlights local authors and also brings authors from across the country. But um, the Boston Literary District also presents the Lit Crawl, the uh, Boston Lit Crawl, which is sort of the Boston outpost of the San Francisco based Lit Crawl. And that event really does highlight local authors in the area and local reading series in the area and local literary nonprofits and journals. I mean, there's so many of the country's very best literary journals are located in Boston, including Plowshares and Agni mm -hmm. and Harvard Review and Salamander and new ones like Pangyrus. And so we're really excited to have these organizations coming together for the Lit Crawl on a, a single night bringing out their uh, people and their talent into unconventional spaces in the Back Bay and in the Literary District where they can do readings for free to the public. So this is so in brilliant. In a very non-Boston, non-traditionally Boston way. It's a Meaning. very unstuffy, fun, joyful night. Um, so we're trying to bring a little bit of that San Franciscan spirit, a little West Coast, right. into the East Coast. <laughs> so this is obviously such a brilliant idea. It's why haven't we done this before? We have this long, long history of literature and writers, and it's so wonderful, and it's here today, and now we have a literary district. But it's not easy keeping these things up, is it? Talk a little bit about, from the launch, which was what, a couple of years ago? 2014. Yeah. The sustainability of keeping the enthusiasm, keeping the excitement, growing it, building it, and it's not the only thing you're doing. Right. Well, we, we so all of the executive partners are really committed to um, the district, but we all have full-time plus jobs. So um, it's difficult to sustain, sometimes I think um, Alicia, it's difficult for Alicia to be cheerleading us all the time and keeping us committed and in the boat, excited to be sailing in the same direction. She's doing a terrific job, but you know, collaborations. You know, collaborations are just difficult. Um, I think part of it is that we're all different sizes too. The Boston Book Festival um, and Grub Street are smaller organizations. We're we're also working with Emerson, Suffolk, 
Boston the Boston Public, Public Library, Library, Boston Athenaeum. We all have very different cultures, very different speeds of jumping on something and working very different processes for okaying things. And so that's an, there's an unevenness there that we have to work through. Um, so I think, I think collaboration is just tough. Well, and I try to, you know, in my work, I try to keep uh, our partners engaged with our work through regular updates and regular meetings and, and also direct partnerships on programming and really understanding what their missions are. But at given times, some of our partnering organizations might be going through their own staff transitions, their own economic insecurities, and so it's hard for them to make a priority of the work that we're doing. And so I think a big part of the job is just finding ways to maintain that engagement and, and also you know, find uh, a structure that can be flexible enough to withstand those transitions. So what has worked out the best in terms of the collaborating? Because we, we, we think of collaboration as, that's a great word. That's everybody coming together, sharing the load. Our collective impact is exponentially larger than any of us could do individually. In theory, yes. it's great, but it's right. not easy. It isn't easy. I mean, I think in the beginning, before I came on, just the foundation of the Literary District, all the partners had were very engaged and really committed to this, this goal of just getting the Literary District off the ground. So just having a very precise goal that everyone can get on board with and, and, and sort of see the end to was, I think, really helped. And then since then, um, I think that there are some collaborative programming projects that we try, we've tried to have number of different of our organizations on board. I mentioned the Lit Crawl earlier. Uh, more and more as we do more of these Lit Crawls, we have different partners becoming more involved and, and, and working together and trying to use the resources from each other's organizations, you know, using the creative force, getting speakers, borrowing equipment, you know, any sort of way that we can, can work together on this. Um, I think um, otherwise, I, I mean, I do find it sort of easier to do smaller collaborations with smaller groups within the larger consortium. So for example, um, Emerson University is really interested in doing creative placemaking projects. Another one of our partners is Mass Poetry, who does really beautiful and inspired creative placemaking projects. So I'm trying to bring them to those two parties together and work and connect and, and engage and, and, and you know help them each further their missions, but through this collaborative sense. And I think also um, one of the big things that comes out of just our meeting is just getting these people at a table together, getting them sitting down, getting them to understand and hear what each of them are working on. And I think you see sparks fly in those moments. Oh, you're, you have the, you know, this, your, your gala is coming up on May 5th. Well, actually, I think I have something that might be able to help you with that. Or, oh, this year, you know, I, I really was hoping to get someone from the mayor's office who could, who could help us with this event. And, and, it, and it's, it's sort of a, an opportunity for people to make connections and stay connected. And that was actually one of the big goals of putting together the, um, the literary district anyway, was just to sort of, with this belief that together we are stronger than the sum of our parts. And so the district actually becomes the platform or the framework uh, within which the parties can find a common table. Yes. That's correct. And the updates, I mean, Alicia, when she came on board, she started having us update, start the meeting with updates. And um, I actually wasn't sure about it at first because I thought it was going to burn a lot of time <laughs> before we had the agenda of the meeting. But it's actually been really, really profound. And, and Grub Street, we are partnering with the library and with the Boston Athenaeum has become the stage for our teen readers at the end of their fellowship. And there are other, we did a slam um, 
We did a, a storytelling night with Suffolk. So we've really, outside of the district, so within the district, we're collaborating, but we're also finding that we find common threads through those update shares, and we end up doing really great work together that we might not have done otherwise. And so I, I do feel like we're succeeding in breaking down the silos and really getting people mm -hmm. to be excited about the work and think at a, you know, I think at a more communal level. It's, it's you know, to, to see that this can work. I also think Lit Crawl's been incredibly inspiring for everybody because they can see really concretely that we can all come together and make a great night and a different kind of night happen in Boston. And so that's been, I think that's really one huge success to tout. We've also done collaborative programming series, which I think have been more or less effective depending on the partner and the energy behind them. But we, you know, Grub Street partnered with the Literary District to put on a conversation about race during our Muse conference. It was the first time we did a talk like that at our literary conference, the Mayor's Office of Equity and Resilience partnered with us, GBH filmed it, and it was a fantastic conversation. And it came about a week after that horrible incident mm. at Fenway Park. So it was incredibly timely. It was uh, moderated by Renee Graham. And I felt like that was something that, you know, we were, were able to, to also use literature to highlight sort of topics of conversation and issue, real issues in the world that are affecting us all in powerful ways, which is really exciting. Yeah. Let's talk about money. Mm. <laughs> you should see the <laughs> smiles on the faces, listeners, um, because uh, money is a struggle if you're just one organization, uh, a nonprofit, um, making ends meet. It, it's universal. Um, collaborations now ask those same partners and nonprofits who are worried about their own bottom line to now, you know, flex a little bit broad more broadly for the collective good um, the mass cultural council um, uh, has funded cultural districts but it's all dependent on our budget and we're not able to continue every single year in, including the year that we're in which we were working hard to get that to be more consistent but um, what is it like the collective fundraising because money is required no matter mm -hmm. what right um, to, to build this program well I mean no doubt it's a challenge uh, because so many of our partners are themselves, um, nonprofits are having to do fundraising for themselves. And so we have to find a way to, um, you know, think about how we c our partners can, can help support our fundraising efforts without undermining their own. Uh, and I think that we are looking at fundraising on a number of different levels, um, including individual fundraising and trying to uh, create a donor group that could support the literary district that would be really excited to be sort of on a kind of fundraising circle, you know, supporting supporting our work. And, um, you know, and furthermore, I think we're having to think creatively about ways that we can bring in even corporate sponsors, not so much that would sit on the, the board and, and support, you know, general operating costs of the district, but even just to sponsor an individual programming or programming series, like the Lit Crawl, for example, we were able to get for the t first time this year um, a corporate entity to, to give money to that. And so I think it's, we have to think very creatively. And, you know, it's a challenge because fundraising is a numbers game and you really need, you know, you need time, you need boots on the ground, you need many calls, many letters. And, and a, if you're a, a single person running the literary district and you have no other staff, you know, that's going to be a challenge. So it, a lot of it is is trying to find ways to compel 
my partners and, and members of my partner organizations to help with that effort, just to, to cast a wide net and to, to keep on going. How do you think of it? You're raising money for Grub Street mm-hmm. and... So I'm actively trying to help Alicia raise, we, we have a sort of, we have to replace the Adams Grant money or else we're not gonna be able to sustain ourselves. So we have to do that by December 31st and I'm um, really committed to making it happen with Alicia, but it's it's definitely hard and I, you know, I think we, we, so we've created an entity called The Fold and we're trying to invite members in, which is Friends of the Literary District. Oh, nice. <laughs> Join The Fold. So that's one route and as Alicia said, we're also looking at corporate, corporate partnerships, but the challenge is it's really about cultivating friends and so that takes time and effort, and um, that's the stress, I think. Do we have enough of a runway to do this by that date, given that we haven't had the bandwidth to do a lot of donor cultivation before then? So we're hoping we can find a fewer number of people but at a higher level to help us sustain this year. But we're also thinking about other ways. I mean, I'm having a call with Julie Burroughs next week um, she's very supportive, you know, of these districts. There are going to be four in Boston soon, as you know. Um, to talk with her about her ideas for longer-term financial support for this effort, um, because it is it is really hard when we're all quite, well. At least m- many of us are scrappy, and we're worried about paying the bills. It's a big ask to get people, especially to open up their rolodexes for big donors. Um, to help in that effort. They are stepping up though, not all of them are gonna step up, which is, I was telling Alicia, that's the, the nature of this sort of nonprofit world. Some people are more, it's nothing against people who aren't stepping up, it's just some people are profoundly uncomfortable raising money, They're, they just don't feel good about it. And so it's an easy thing to wanna you know, step away from. So, but I think we have enough of the partners who are going to actively help us that hopefully we'll find success. But I, I do worry a little bit in that we're not, you know, we're a mid-sized nonprofit. I wonder if the district would be better off with a bigger partner longer term. You know, I wonder if we were, we were the right startup partner for the district and whether a bigger entity um, should actually house how is the district going forward? I don't know. That's, so what, that's something we're going to be thinking about and exploring. But what you're saying is that um, um, there are different ages and stages yes. as organizations evolve, right. and they may require different supports or constructs to make them sustainable over time. Um, final thought for the literary district in Boston, which is, first and foremost, an amazing and effective way to shine a light on a a part of our wonderful history that people didn't even know about. What's your favorite thing you're looking forward to? The favorite thing I'm looking forward to event or um, well, I mean I don't want to I don't want to talk specifically date wise. Um, I can tell you what us. I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm hoping that we get on the duck tours that we uh, Alicia's working on that and I think I'm so tired of the story out of Boston being all sports and education and medicine. Yeah. So I'm hoping that on that tour, we they go right through, those ducks come right through the district. And so we're hoping to to pepper in a few literary references, yes, which I, I think just, would be awesome. Yeah, I just went on the duck tour to sort of see where <laughs> might be opportunities that they could talk, bring in more literary history. I mean, they do point out some, the Edgar Allan Poe statue, mm-hmm. for example, but there are areas they go by, and even through the common, like literary history of the common is, is sort of hidden 
Um, and they love sort of irreverent, um, fun, or unknown facts, and we have so yes. many of those. You yeah. have them. We have them in spades. <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, the that working really closely with some of our partners um, more creatively on celebrating some very important anniversaries in the in the district, um, in, including you know the 250th anniversary of the publication of uh, Little Women, for example, uh, and you know, and just thinking really creatively about how to bring to life sites like the Old Corner Bookstore, which is currently a Chipotle, but was a very, very important location. And I think Historic Boston and some other historic entities in the city are really dedicated to um, making sure that that history doesn't get sort of hidden beneath the corporate facade. So these are some of the things I'm excited about. Lots of exciting opportunities. Eve Bridberg from Grub Street and Alicia Abbott from the Boston Literary District. Two more of our creative minds out loud. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.